Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Company 3 Toronto. Company 3 is the leading post-production provider to the world's top content creators. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. In the last few years, the film and television industry has undergone change in an effort to make sets safe for all. There is still great work to be done. In their essay, Welcome to the Empathy Revolution, multidisciplinary artists and activists, Sedna Fiati, expertly outlines practices that can be understood and implicated into every production in an effort to achieve universal empathy. Part 1. Welcome to the Empathy Revolution. As an activist, I hear a lot of anti-language, anti-oppression, anti-racism, etc. This language is 100% necessary. We need to eliminate racism and oppression from our world. I do ask the question, though, if we are against racism and oppression, what are we in favor of? When we rid our world of oppression, what is in its place? For me, words like affirmation, support, Celebration and care come up when I dare to conjure the world that I want to be a part of. We are in revolutionary times, no doubt. I'm calling it the empathy revolution, an invitation for us all to consider that we can be more empathetic to ourselves, the people we love, and to our communities. Those who are determined to hold on to old oppressive ways are very unhappy in fighting tooth and nail to maintain the status quo. They are like cranky toddlers who don't want to sleep even though sleep is exactly what is required when one is tired. Unfortunately, the regressive powers that be are not as harmless or cute as a toddler. Many are quite dangerous, using words, violence, laws to keep parts of our world from moving toward liberation. We who want a much better world have a key tool in our disposal. The ability to create an alternative space where transformation is so irresistible, and dare I say so joyful that the old ways are not only more difficult, but also undesirable. Get in the lake. The water's warm and healing. Oh, you want to stay in the cold, chlorinated pool that leaves your skin and hair ashy? (laughs) Okay. So what is the empathy revolution? In the Western world, capitalism is valued above all things, even life itself. The relentless pursuit of resources without consequence has led us into a space where we are willing to sacrifice our bodies, spirits, and nature in favor of a finished product. This ideology is also deeply tied to white supremacy, a framework that is rooted in racism, ableism, and misogyny. A film set is an excellent example of how these oppressive systems play out. In The Empathy Revolution, We replace racism, ableism, and misogyny with inclusivity and an emphasis on care and a deep interrogation and integration of the importance of process over product. How much is a finished screen-based work worth to us if many people were harmed in the process? At the end of films with animals, 
there's often a disclaimer. No animals were harmed in the process of this film. Many film and TV series could never make this claim. I think more and more, we need to ask ourselves, why are we willing to create and participate in processes where we treat each other badly, where people compromise their safety, relationships, physical, emotional, psychological health in the name of filmmaking? It may seem like, well, that's the way it's always been done, or we'd have to pay more money, or... But I am beyond exhausted of these excuses, and frankly, I am feeling deep shame about passing on this way of working to subsequent generations. There are alternatives, and we don't have to look that far to find them. I firmly believe that deeply supporting those who suffer the most will help everyone. Let's create an irresistible revolution. Part 2. What is actually working? Even just a bit. Here are some examples of practices happening right here and now. If you are a producer, start incorporating these into your planning. If you are not a producer, start asking the production companies you work with to do these things. Education and consistent messaging. I've done one one one-on-one workshop and one seminar-style workshop for production shooting in Toronto in the area of social justice. Imagine that! What would it look like to have this training in pre-production? to consider how to use social justice principles to create a more inclusive and, dare I say, joyful and supportive set. Find a social justice facilitator in your area and work with them on a workshop to suit your needs. Workshops and seminars could happen over a lunch hour. They can include topics like bystander intervention, how racism shows up on set, working with trans and non-binary performers. As well, make it clear to everyone what kind of workplace you are creating. Put your value statements in contracts, on bulletin boards. Talk about it in your meetings. Intimacy coordinators. I have deep gratitude for this field, which has recently come to the forefront and is now becoming standard practice. When there are scenes of an intimate nature, these professionals assist with both creating repeatable choreography and ensuring the emotional safety of the participants. From a feminist standpoint, This intervention is an important piece to help performers stay safe and keep the action in a container. Active listeners and therapy supports. This may be less familiar to some folks, but this practice has been around for a while. An active listener is someone who is available to support anyone who needs to talk to someone. Maybe they are emotionally triggered by charged material, or maybe they're having a conflict with another person on set. An active listener could be a therapist or social worker or someone who is trained and experienced in active listening. Normalize therapy and asking for support by having additional funds in the budget to support your team or if you are a team member, asking for this support as a part of your contract negotiations. ACTRA and other unions have anonymous lines you can call for support and most cities have helplines you can call. I've got these lines when I'm having a rough moment. No shame. They're here to help all of us. Wheelchair-accessible sets and workplaces. I remember a performer who is a wheelchair user telling me about the humiliating experience of having to be transported off location to use the washroom. I'm sure they have other stories. This kind of experience is very preventable with some thought and consideration. The concept of accessibility from the social definition of disability embraces options. Questions to consider. Is this location wheelchair-accessible? Could we rent a few wheelchair-accessible trailers? Is our writing room in a wheelchair-accessible location? Injury can happen at any time to anyone, and having spaces where there are mobility options ensures that more people can participate. 
It means you can hire people who may not be able to scale stairs or who are wheelchair or mobility device users. Isn't it safer not to have a crew hauling expensive equipment up and down stairs? The case for wheelchair accessibility is strong for everyone and for a lot of reasons. Humane working hours. Whew, this one's going to be the most difficult one to tackle. We are accustomed to long hours on set, long hours in writing rooms, in pre-production and post-production. Many times we will do whatever we need to to finish. The unions help in some ways, but bigger budget productions just lean on overtime to fill in the gaps. Working in our industry can be grueling. Some people have fractured personal relationships, experience ill physical health, and can be psychologically damaged from years of a relentless pace. And then somehow, we expect folks who are underslept and overworked to be kind to each other. Okay. This is counterintuitive. There are countless studies that prove the importance of sleep for productivity and overall well-being. I am firmly in favor of the nine-hour workday. <laughs> in my head, doing the producer math. I'm thinking sometimes the overtime reshoots would just add up to extending the shoot in the first place. I could be wrong, though, but isn't it truly worth considering for and planning for? On one TV set I was performing on, they did a 10-hour day in the writer's room and on set because the showrunner was a parent and wanted to spend time with their children. I don't think this compromised the quality of their work and probably ensured a happier and more effective team. Inclusive and intentional casting and hiring. Much has been said about this in recent years especially in regards to race and gender. But I want to push this envelope a bit and challenge us to go deeper. What would it look like to have deaf performers and team members in our projects? How can we ensure that performers with disabilities are represented? What apprenticeship and emerging possibilities are available for those from equity-seeking groups? As well, if you are in a hiring capacity, how can we make sure to hire and cast people who are dedicated to creating a welcoming and inclusive atmosphere? This is especially true for roles on set that are often overlooked. And I'll tell you, being stuck in a car with a sexist driver is pretty terrible. Or seeing a third AD yell at people or having sexist people in the electrics department when a person is the only woman. I ask myself how these situations could have been avoided with deeper screening. Budgeting for your values. It's all about the money, isn't it? <laughs> the budget tells a story, and it's a common and good practice to have a contingency. I'm going to propose that this contingency be more generous than you might have accounted for. Additional funds mean that you have more leeway to make decisions in line with your values. Maybe you're able to let someone go who's causing issues instead of keeping them on because it would be too difficult to hire someone else. Or maybe there is a major conflict. Having extra funds means you can work with a mediator or facilitator to work out the issues. Or additional funds in your budget means you can rent that wheelchair-accessible trailer. Plan for issues because they will happen. Being ready means that you will be able to sleep better at night. If you're not in the capacity to create the budget, ask questions about your position and how the budget is allocated. Part 3. Final Thoughts This is a big listicle maybe even a little overwhelming. However, doing even one of these things will lead to another. Decide what is important to you and go forth. In the empathy revolution, the revolution starts with the self. 
have empathy and compassion for yourself first, which will translate to how you treat others and how you see the world. You got this. See you on the other side. Coming up, Lara Jean and Sednet chat about experiences that led Sednet to compose their listicle and how activism fuels Sednet's artistry. Hi, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki, and I'm here with Sedna Fiatti. Sedna, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for sharing this incredible list for us all to consider and hopefully implement. We talked a lot in prep about our gratitude for your willingness to share your work on this platform with our listeners. So just a huge thank you, because it's like a mini essay masterclass. Oh, thank you. Wow. So good. (laughs) Can you tell us about an experience where you've been able to implement this incredible list, where you felt that there's been this positive and inclusive uh, feedback as a result? Sure. Yeah. I mean, firstly, I'll say I've been working as an independent theater producer. (laughs) Scrappy for, uh, for over 10 years. So I've definitely been in, in the theater space, you know, incorporating these ideas and thoughts. And um, with Farah as well, so much of this work is shaped by the work that we did when we were co-chairs of the Actor Toronto's Diversity Committee mm-hmm. together. And, you know, it's funny, we took it on and both of us, of course, had our own viewpoints. And then we met so many people and learned so many things. Like, honestly, I don't think I'd really met deaf performers before I started to work with Actra. I hadn't, you know, and so just thinking about that as a concept. And so, yeah, I've done two PSAs with ACTRA that allowed me, even it's a small production, obviously a PSA, but still, it still allows us to practice and to really put our, um, really put our, what's the word I'm looking for? Put our actions into practice. (laughs) Put our thoughts and ideas. Thoughts into action? Exactly, exactly. Put our thoughts, ideas, theories, and actually apply them. Recently, as I discussed in the essay, but I didn't say what, but I'll say more specifically, Farah and I together did a a workshop for the crew of Tallboy Season 2. Go watch it. Yes, please do. It's on CBC Gem. (laughs) We were asked to do this by the line producer, production manager, because you know, he really wanted to set a good tone for the series, which is a series that's quite diverse in and of itself. Um, but I think he was himself feeling like, okay, what can I do? You know what I mean? This is obviously, this was last summer, you know, and he reached out to the community in general and was just like, okay, what training exists mm. for anti-oppression and social justice within film and TV? And I was just like, I had a good conversation with him. I was like, nothing. <laughs> Yeah, it's so new. It's so sad that it's so new. It really is. I mean, there's stuff obviously around harassment Mm -hmm. that exists, but there isn't anything that's specifically like looking at social justice. So he was, I was like, let's do it. Let's make one. And so I approached Farah and I was like, let's work together on coming up with a workshop. And so, yeah, we really put our heads together thinking about all the things that we had learned. And yeah, we did this workshop for them in their pre-production. It was over Zoom, which is like actually wonderful that like we can do things over Zoom. So it just like expedites things, right? We don't always have to be in person. And then, yeah, as a result of that workshop, we followed up with the production manager and he was just like, yeah, some people came forward and said, I have some issues, like after that workshop. And he, 
it was great because I feel like he was able to address them and preempt them before they became a bigger issue because this was like maybe a few days before they were ready to start production and ready to start shooting. So for me, that was such a great outcome. And we're hoping to do more workshops like that in advance of shooting because this is where we can continue to lay the foundations. As well, what we what I found from the workshop, too, was that a lot of people on that set had already been thinking about these things. You know, they already were on that journey. And so it was a great opportunity for them to be like, yes, and, yes, and, you know what I mean? The great improv. Mm. <laughs> the yes, and, like, I was already thinking about this. And so it's really powerful to make that kind of gesture, to say this is a space where we're trying to care for each other, where we care about social justice, because that means that people aren't, hopefully people will feel a bit braver and more courageous to ask for the things they need. And also in the space of being a bystander or someone mm-hmm. who holds power on set in various ways and say, okay, I don't have to do things the way things have always been done. Like I can actually start to be the person on some level that I really want to be. Mm, yeah? That's you know? such a great point. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm a white woman here and therefore majority of the time, apart from being a woman, a bystander. And I think a lot of bystanders sometimes in themselves feel silenced to say things. And it's so silly. Of course you say things. But as we've talked about, the status quo is is such that you go, oh, I don't want to, but that's just the way things are done. I don't want to rock the boat. And then you end up betraying your allyship by by not speaking. Mm. So creating, it's so awesome that you create a, a space for everyone to, as you talk about, the focus is really on inclusivity. So everyone feels that they can, yes, and social justice work. Yes, exactly. And I mean, to be so real, oftentimes people don't intervene due to fear of reprisal. And mm-hmm. not even fear of reprisal, reprisal, period. Like it's not, if we're going to act like it doesn't happen, it would be really naive of of us to do that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, production signaling and those who, you know, producers and PMs, et cetera, signaling that this is a space where we care about this. Mm -hmm. It emboldens people to say, yeah, as you said, we don't have to be bystanders. We can speak up. And once you start doing it, then you'll keep doing it because it becomes a muscle. It's a muscle that you exercise. Yeah. Well, kudos to that producer because it really so much in my, you know, I've done film and TV for 13 years and theater before that. And in 20 years as a professional actress, the one thing I have definitely learned is that it is trickle down. Right. And if there is stress on a set, it comes from the top, almost Mm. exclusively entirely. Uh, As in the acting world, of course, it's like if your number one is amazing, that trickles down. If your number one is struggling in themselves, that trickles down. And and the same goes for your EPs and, and whoever is kind of steering the boat. So I love that idea and kudos to that producer of signaling to us and to their team that everything was open. So is this experience where you started, where you are consulting? Can you give us a brief history of that specific uh, work that you do? Sure. You know, I've really, I'm just going to be so real and honest and say that I've <laughs> I've really sort of fallen into consulting work. Because, I love it. <laughs> and I've fallen into being an activist. Like, I can't ever say, I certainly have some activist roots, but like, I graduated theater school, you know, I just wanted to be a performer, you know, Mm. and then I ended up being a producer because I'm that kind of person and someone asked me to produce. It was like, I was like, okay, let me try that. And I'd already been doing it on some level anyway, even in university. So yeah, that made sense too. But like, I didn't, 
I didn't necessarily come at this work with a sense of like, I want to change the world with hmm. what I'm doing. It's been an evolution. And I say, you know, what is important to say that because it can feel like with social justice work, it can feel daunting, right? It can, and it's intimidating. Mm. And it's like, how do I learn these things? And it just seems like someone's just born knowing, but nobody's born knowing. We learn over time. And I've learned over time. And I'm the person that I was like, you know, 15 years ago is just not the person I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel the same. Thank God. Yeah, I know. We learn. We grow. What a <laughs> know, concept. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I, I will start with that. So I'll say that, like, I didn't, being an activist wasn't uh, something that I set out to do. But you know what? It became clear quite quickly as, like, a Black woman, Black queer woman working in, in various industries that, like, yeah, the world is not, wasn't very welcoming to me, mm-hmm. you know? And it was really hard, especially... Yeah, just even talking about shadism and colorism and being a darker skinned person and like all of those things in terms of acting weren't things that worked in my favor. Mm. So over time, I just realized that things are screwed up and I'm like, I want to be a part of changing them. You know, I want to be a part of that, that transformation because a lot of people are left out. And even the ones who are included are quite, you know, we have our war stories. We've been mm. harmed. Even it's like, it's so interesting. Like I I felt like for a long time I was on the outside being like, if only I could get more work. And then I hear about the people who get more work and I was like, uh-oh. It wasn't even that great of an experience sometimes. You know, mm. they were, they've been harassed, they've been bullied, or they've witnessed that kind of behavior. In that space, yeah, I, I just, I really, especially like coming out as queer and to be queer, no matter, it necessitates a kind of activism, you know, mm. and and it, in the sense that, like, if you are sort of, like, out in community and the people you meet and the things, the conversations you have, being in that space starts me anyway, started me questioning all of the systems um, mm. and, and just being in spaces with artists, activists, you know, who are having these conversations. Or, and people, deaf people, disabled people, people living with chronic illness who I know, like, who have been like, why aren't I included? Like, them speaking up loudly and hearing them trans people, non-binary people, mm. right? Like hearing them, knowing them has has changed has changed me. And so yeah, my journey to be like doing consulting work has been definitely through being a performer and producer and Actra definitely played such a big role in that. I got involved with the diversity committee at Actra because I was like, I want to be part of it. I met Jenny Lozon, who was the chair before Farah and I were, and I loved the work that she was doing. She's an indigenous artist and and um, soon to be elder, you know, very much an elder mm. in the best of ways of a knowledge keeper and somebody who who has such a great big picture thinking. One thing I've always been that led me to the space too is just like I'm such a joiner, you know, like I don't know. There's not everyone's a joiner, but I'm a <laughs> joiner. I was like I did girl guides. I was in multiple ah, clubs. I love it. Like since I was a kid, I've been that like where's the people Is there a fun thing happening? Can we organize together? Like, that's always been my vibe. So kind of that coupled with a sense of, like, I want to change things is, like, a profile of an activist. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, my work through Actor Toronto and then, like, volunteering with the committee and really just showing up. 
Like, I showed up because I'm a joiner. So I'm like, where's the thing? Okay, let's do this. I'm going to do it. And Jenny seeing that and being like, I'm ready to let this go in terms of being the chair of the committee. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking, like, who's out there who could take over? So she identified Farah and I as both people who could do that. And so, yeah, we stepped into that role and we learned so much. And so from there on, yeah, I've continued. I've continued speaking out. I've continued trying to practice what I'm preaching and and thankfully been recognized for that work. You know, I've been facilitating workshops, been involved with Generator in the theater space, which is like a performing arts incubator and teaching and teaching and professional development space for artists, producers. And so, yeah, I've become recognized as being somebody who's a part of a movement who's thinking about these things mm. and who, through my facilitation and through all the things that I've learned, who's willing to share knowledge. It's been a very organic process. And so I've been like, okay, I'm going to start my own consulting company. Meanwhile, I'm like a consultant with like two other places because it's a consultant, so I can be clear. So I'm like, I'm a consultant with BIPOC. Yeah. Executive search as stuff comes up. And I'm newly a consultant with SAPAMO, which is like stands for Cultural Pluralism in the Arts Movement Ontario, which I've been a part of actually for a very long time, like about over 10 years I've been a part of SAPAMO. I'm the artist, activist in residence at Nightwood, as my bio will say. So you went okay so i'm i'm going to stop you there i go oh my goodness that is so much work and you're also an accomplished artist um i mean how does this anti oppression work feed into your own work where you can lead with affirmation support celebration and care and when i mean your own work i mean you as an artist oh yeah big time i mean as an actor i'm going to say it's harder you know <laughs> you kind of take what is given often. Like, mm. I, I'd love to be be like, I'm saying no to that, but I'm not in that <laughs> position. It would be a lie. But I do find something as a performer is that because people see me in the world doing this work, I tend to attract projects and people that are about the activism because they know that's what mm. I'm about. So they're just like, great, I'm about it too. So I'm looking for other like-minded people. And so they identify me in that way. So that's been a huge gift. Honestly, the work that I did on Super Z was a direct result of my activism because I met Natalie Younglai through the world, like being a panelist. Mm. I think I was a p- panelist at Real Asian more than once. And she is such a firecracker of a human, just really, you know, the founder of BIPOC TV and film. And she yeah, she was wanting to write something and create something that could really embrace a lot of the ideals. And she met me and she was like, oh, she's awesome. She should work more. And then she was thinking about, okay, how do I work with more women of color on set? She was thinking all of those things at once. And so she wrote Super Z and she wrote that for me and with me in mind in any case. And then was her main thing was that she really wanted to ensure that that the set was women of color entirely. Mm. So everyone working behind the scenes was a woman of color and it centered women of color stories. So that's an example of like the activism in action, you know, is is that. And then, yeah, recently I'm finishing up a project called Henry G20, which is an audio play. Um, it's going to be a live play, but it's now an audio project. And that is combining like Henry V and the G20 protests. Um, in Toronto in 2010, oh, so which I was a part of too. I was I was yeah. there on the streets. So as you can see, like as those are just two examples of projects, but these are the types of projects I tend to and tend to attract. And as a producer, like you have 100% the choice yeah. to work on what you want to work on. So I just say I, I'm really interested in projects where women of color are leading, both on screen and off. That's the types of projects that I'm doing. So yeah, that is my choice. And so like thinking about who is hired, thinking about how we treat each other. And, you know, I tend to work with people I know. It's a really great thing. I mean, we all tend to, but 
that means that they know that I'm about it. I'm about the activism. Mm-hmm. So stuff's going to come up. It is going to come up. And I, but they know me as a producer and as a person that I don't necessarily have all the answers, but I'm at least willing to try and respond to it. You know, I'm not perfect by any means, but they know they can come to me with a conflict or with something that's that's not right and that I'm going to that we're going to try and work together to do something about it. It must create a, as you said in your essay, a more joyful space for everyone. You know, even when we're stressed, then we know that there can be a, a degree of playfulness to our stressful situations and and an openness. And I can imagine that your sets and your theater rehearsal rooms are really welcoming and warm as are you. Oh, thank you. So welcoming and warm. I'm going to mention to our listeners that there's links that we're going to put up on your episode webpage that they should definitely check out. And I mean, bookmark this episode for sure so you can re-listen again and again to Sedna's brilliant words. Sedna, thank you so, so much for coming in today and for sharing with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I feel so honored. Sedna Fianti is a Toronto-based performer, producer, director, creator, and activist for stage and screen. Proudly Black, queer, and femme, Sedna is deeply invested in artistic work that explores the intersection between art and activism, either in form or structure, or ideally both. Media projects over the last two years include Last Dance, Receiver, Maternal, Super Z, and Tokens. Sedna was also the co-chair of Actor Toronto's Diversity Committee and is the artist-activist-in-residence at Nightwood Theatre. Thank you, Sedna, for joining us at Company 3 today. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women, Women on Screen. screen. Thank you to Company 3 Toronto for hosting us and for continuing to support Women on Screen. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Executive produced by Farah Marani, Lauren McKinley, and Kira Murphy. With original music by Erica Procunier. Sound captured by Devin Doucette. And sound mixed by Arturo Fuenmayor at Company 3 in Toronto.